This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Barry Enderwick, the sandwich historian on TikTok, takes us through the history of the most bizarre, delicious, and surprising recipes for sandwiches, plus your tips and sandwich traumas from when we were a kid. Dr. Hannah Shalist updates us on the war in Ukraine with a focus on how the war can impact world food security and if Western nations are dragging their feet on supplying the Ukrainian army with weapons and assistance. All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Wow, there's one thing here on the Shift that we all can agree is we love talking about food. And we can talk about anything on this show. We really can. We literally talk about all the hardest things in life and the most fun things in life. And yes, there's been political things that have come up that have garnered tons of phone calls and text messages. Never, ever before has the conversation been so just explosive than when you talk about the simplest things. What's the best pizza? Where's the best cheeseburger? And in this conversation, what is the best sandwich of all the times in all the histories, could you possibly nail that down? Uh, my guest right now is, uh, this is what he does. I don't know if there's an answer to this. I don't know if there can be an answer to this. Barry Enderwick, I'm going to, like, sandwich historian is <laughs> is kind of a, it's a strange title. Barry, you, when, when, you know, when the teachers at school said, Barry, when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. You really took that and ran with it. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that I uh, ever thought the idea of uh, doing sandwiches of history uh, was something that I would do when I grew up. Not at all. Ah. Um, but you know, I love food. I love cooking, and I love sandwiches, and I always have. And uh, I, I got a hold of a PDF of this up-to-date sandwich book of 1909, and some of the recipes in there were just odd. And I thought, well, this this could be kind of fun to just make these and see how they taste, and just do it on camera uh-huh. and share it with people. Um, and then eventually moved on to like, hey, maybe we can add some stuff to it to make it actually taste good. <laughs> so inspiration comes and and your your vehicle that you do this is on social media. Your TikTok account uh, has grown and grown and grown uh, from my understanding since you got started with sandwiches of history on on the ticks and the talks. Yeah, no, it it, it exploded. It, it got up over 250,000 followers in less than a year. Wow. Um, and just recently, Instagram just went from like under 2,000 to over 40,000. Hmm. Um, so it, it, there's something that really resonates with people at the, making these old sandwiches and, and trying to plus them up. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by it. I'm, uh, I'm humbled by it. I'm thrilled by it. Hmm. Now, old sandwiches, this makes me think of the classics, peanut mm-hmm. butter and jelly, Sure. Um, probably ham and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think back to, you know, foods that were readily available and easily uh, attainable a hundred years ago, which mm-hmm. is going to be the hams of the world. Um, probably cheese. Um, the jams and jellies, I imagine, would be preserves, right? Because, I mean, you could put those in a sandwich. Sure. I don't know. What else is there? Well, I mean, there's mustard, oh. um, mayonnaise that start off as a fancy French sauce and then got commercialized somewhere around 1912, uh, I think, or 1910, somewhere in there, um, or early 1900s. Um, so, you know, in the recipes prior to 1909, 1909 and before, you don't really see mayonnaise mentioned a lot. Um, and boy, howdy, every sandwich is buttered mm. up through like the 70s. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been fascinating to learn um, about the different ingredients and about different condiments, like how ketchup has evolved from being fish sauce. That was its origin. No. Yes. I can't, I love ketchup. I can't stand fish sauce. How can that be? Well, the, the fish <laughs> sauce, it started off as fish sauce. Uh, sailors brought it back to England where it kind of got started, started get made with other things like uh, walnuts and mushrooms and other stuff. And then in America, it starts to become tomato ketchup and that's how it gets to where we are today. So I, I'm actually going to do an episode nothing, on nothing, but I'm going to make three different uh, ketchups, um, yeah, like a walnut, mushroom, and then a, a tomato one, because it's just, it's fascinating to me to learn this stuff. And American cheese, like American cheese, we all think of American cheese as the plastic slices inside of plastic. Yeah. Um, and But American cheese was a term to refer to cheese that wasn't from England until the process for, for pasteurized cheese product uh, came into existence in the early 1900s. Wow. Okay. Um, so you literally take these old, old, old recipes, you make them, you try them on, that's your, basically the essence of, of your, of your, the videos. 
Yep. And then you try to improve them and, and make them, uh, pardon me, taste really, really good. So where do we go and what's the most surprising for you? Because, I mean, I, I've said a couple other things have occurred to me while you did this. Salmon is probably in the sandwich uh, history. Um, I, maybe yeah, some, I just did a, some beef just or did something. A sandwich from uh, 1893 that called for canned salmon. Um, and it was actually not bad. Uh, it was canned salmon, cucumber slices that had been soaked in French dressing, which French dressing is not like the French dressing right. we have now, more like a vinaigrette. You soak them for 45 minutes. 45. <laughs> and you have it with salmon, yeah. Not 42. No, not 42. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and it was pretty good. It was a little dry, but it was pretty good. But uh, yeah, there's some. There's some odd sandwiches in there. Like the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909 has something called the dairy sandwich. And literally it is two pieces of Swiss cheese that you butter and press together. No bread. Really? Yeah. Well, It tasted good, yeah. but it felt wrong. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> it's kind of like when you eat a burger that's wrapped in lettuce. I, I, I get it, but yeah. for me, uh, yeah. not my jam. Okay, so you... These some of these are really really strange, but bread in itself, I guess we should probably start with the key ingredient of all the sandwiches, which would be the bread. Bread today is different. Yeah, bread today is different. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm I made a loaf from nineteen uh, from a recipe from nineteen twelve, and it was decidedly drier than what we have today. Um, I have been using store bought bread because I've got a full time job, uh, so I don't have time to be making bread all the time. But I do want to get back into making uh, more of the breads. But it's. Um, they were a lot drier, I think. Huh. I think that's part part of the reason why they they put butter on every sandwich was to act as a moisture barrier so that the bread didn't sog out and fall apart. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I always thought. It was like put a little, put a little moisture yeah. into the dry the dryness of the whole sandwich. Okay. Much. Most amazing, impressive, blew your mind, but strange sandwich that you found. Oh, but strange. You threw a twist in there at the end. Um <laughs> okay so i forget which co- i think this was the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909 um they called it the the part no they called it the i think the tomato sandwich and what it was actually was tomato ketchup mixed with parmesan cheese between two saltine crackers that you put in the oven oh and it's like this is gonna just be like eh. it was delicious really <laughs> It really was. It was like a toast, one of those pizza rolls, yeah. uh, but without all the seasoning. But it was actually quite good. It was shockingly good. Um, there was one where barbecue beef, where you made a barbecue sauce with just these odd ingredients, and it turned out really good. And that was from 1941. Huh. Um, but most of the unusual ones are not great. Yeah. <laughs> but like most of the sandwiches, like uh, there was a, a, a oyster sandwich. Oh. And they say take raw oysters, chop them up. And I like raw oysters on the house show. I'm I'm into that for sure. They they had you chop up the raw oysters, mix it with olive oil, and put it on buttered bread. Really? It's just like, oh, it's just awful. Really? Just yeah. See, there's nothing appealing about that. I realize you say you like oysters, but the, for me, there's like zero appeal, nothing, <laughs> nowhere, maybe butter. That would probably be the appealing part. <laughs> And the bread. And the bread. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, yeah. Peanut butter banana sandwiches. Um, yeah. Is that a new thing? Is that an old thing? No, it's 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 been around. The, it's in a lot of the cookbooks um, that I've got, that I've referenced. Uh, Elvis, of course, was famous for, for having his uh, peanut butter and banana sandwich that he had fried in butter, uh, which I have done on the show, and it is delicious. Really? Hey? Yeah. I also did his, fool, uh, his other favorite, Fool's Gold, which was is... Uh, Peanut butter, blueberry jam, and bacon. And that was really good. Really? Peanut butter, but blueberry jam, also, and bacon. I could kind of see that. Yeah, kind of like a fruit. I mean, fruit goes with pork. It's kind of right? like that Chicago mix, right? That caramel corn with cheese, popcorn, <laughs> like that really yeah. weird stuff. Yeah, that when you sweet savory combo. Yeah. Yeah, you see it and you're like, no way. And someone tells you about it, you're like, definitely no way. And then yeah. you have it and you're like, all right. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So, so what are some of the, uh, take me through some of your favorites here that you found that, that really were, were quite cool that, that you thought were awesome with the history well, of the sandwiches. I mean, the, the, the ones that are still served today that are like pillars of sandwichdom, uh, like the Kentucky hot Brown, unfortunate name, but it's named after the hotel, the Brown hotel where it was created, uh, involving Turkey and, a, um, a Mornay sauce, bechamel with uh, pecorino cheese, 
unbelievably delicious. Um, the pan bagnat I just made the other day, it's a French uh, sandwich, basically a, a, a whole niçoise salad with uh, anchovies and tuna packed in oil that you put in between bread and then leave in the fridge overnight so it all soaks into the bread. And that was fantastic. Huh. Uh, Reuben sandwich, unbelievably good. Corned beef, uh, Swiss cheese, sauerkraut, uh, mustard. It is uh, just just wonderful. So huh. it's 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 those are the ones that really stand out to me, the ones that, that still stand the test of time and people still serve in restaurants. Um, because, you know, like I've got, there's one book I use from 1936 called A Thousand and One Sandwiches. There's some filler in there, for yeah. sure. It's not A Thousand and One Great Sandwiches, or else they no. would have called it that. No, and I've had some great sandwiches from there, but I also did one, um, sorry, I also did one from uh, um, from that book called The Brand Sandwich, and it was basically bran mixed with an egg and milk, and then you fried it, and you put it between unbuttered bread. Wow. Felt like a punishment. Yeah, felt like punishment. Hey, yeah. but the next day was all right, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I had finished it, it would have been a, a moving experience. Potato sandwich, though, like you, that's on your list. Yeah. I think it says nineteen oh nine. Yeah, yep. Uh, potato sandwich. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, that was the mashed potato sandwich. Um, I mean, it was bare bones mashed potatoes. It wasn't any luxurious mashed potatoes because it was just nineteen oh nine. Um, but it was one of, that was one of the things where you could actually plus it up in a bunch of different ways. And I collaborated with a, a, a guy on TikTok, um, inner decay. And he's like, he had just made a potato sandwich the other day. So I had him tell me what ones to do, turned one into a potato salad. It was delicious. Really? Yeah. Um, I guess like carbs, but yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hey. Um, so the classics like egg salad sandwich, is that from way back then too, or is that a new incarnation of a, of a, of another sandwich? I would say that that's probably a mid century, um, really mid century creation. Yeah. It's, it's doesn't appear in like 1909, uh, that they'll have deviled egg sandwiches, but they, uh, they don't have the egg salad as we know it today until about mid century. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, celery sandwich also comes on the list. That seems weird. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, some of these, some of the sandwiches are clearly meant to be kind of tea sandwiches, right? Uh, they're 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 just way too light in what they're bringing to the table for to, for it to be a meal, um, and so that's one of the things I try to take into consideration when I'm plussing it up, and also when I'm rating it, mm. is what is the context of the sandwich? Because if you know, if I no tea sandwich is going to hold a candle to uh, like the the Reuben sandwich, right? You know what I mean? If, if I'm going to compare them to each other, but if I compare them in, within the category of tea sandwiches, this is excellent. Can be plussed up. So that would be like. Um if I'm understanding correctly, like tea sandwich is just more of, it's almost like a biscuit, really. You're just eating something that's super light, super easy, little snacky, whereas looking at a sandwich as an actual, I don't want to say meal, but I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're on. I think you're right. I think it's, tea sandwiches tend to be like, oh, mixed butter with parsley and salt and pepper put between bread. Like cucumber like maybe? It's, it's, yeah. It's really thin. It's really light. Uh, not a lot of ingredients. Whereas, you know, a sandwich for a meal is going to have maybe protein, it's going to have vegetable, it's going to have sauce, it's going to have cheese, right? It's going to have a bunch of different stuff to make it what it is. So the tea sandwiches are more light. Okay, so you don't become a sandwich expert um, unless something happened in your sandwich life. Like it, like something, there's, some, there's usually we in life today, like we create uh, the amazing things because of trauma. And so I'm thinking of sandwich trauma. And huh. sandwich trauma for me is the endless days of uh, butter and, which was probably margarine, and cheese whiz sandwiches that I received from my mom uh, in school. Or yeah. my sister used to love bologna and ketchup on a sandwich. And I so, can kind of get that. I can kind of get that. Well, it was all right. Hot, I mean, I, the hot dog ketchup scenario. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm also a fan of the spam. So, uh, yeah. you know, so there, there's that too, which is probably on here. Some of those canned meats. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what's your, what's your sandwich trauma? There must be some sandwich trauma because you're, if you're on a search to find the great sandwiches, that means at some point in your life, you had really bad sandwiches. I honestly cannot recall ever having a sandwich that was bad. Huh. Like, I don't, I honestly don't have any sandwich trauma. I think I'm just, I'm a guy who likes to cook and eat. And I'm very curious about a lot of stuff. And huh. so for me, it, this was like pulling up the thread of history and just sort of like, what did I eat in 1909? Cause the context for what they were eating back then is completely different from where it, when it is now. 
And were tastes different? Were ingredients different? What was the process like? Um, and so that just sort of got me going down this this uh, path. And then once I started looking for sandwich uh, cookbooks, recipe books, I just I find them everywhere. Really, eh? I actually made a sandwich from uh, 1777 from an English cookbook, and it was the only sandwich in the book. And the name of the sandwich was Sandwich. Huh. And it was just meat between bread. When it's that good, I mean, do you need to? Yeah. Call it's it it's an original sandwich. Uh, so you said from England. I'm assuming sandwiches from different places in the world are are notably different. Oh yeah, yeah. And but and and that's another thing I like to do is do international sandwiches like the the pan bagnette from from France. Um, I've done some from Cuba. I've done one from uh, Brazil. Uh, you know, I still have a lot to get to. But this weekend, I'm actually going to shoot one that's from China, and it's actually from 200 BC. Wow. And it's uh, it's usually made with pork, uh, sometimes, but in some areas made with beef. I'm going to do beef just because that's what I've got at home. Um, and it's yeah, 200 BC. It's the it's technically would be I think the oldest sandwich, huh? The, at least the oldest one that I've come across. Come across so far. This is cool. But I mean, then again, you have these other ones that are suspect: peanut mm-hmm. butter and yellow mustard. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't call that something I'm ever going to make again. Yeah. But- it was interesting. To you and I have a very that. different definition of interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you know, there's a, a sharp tang of the mustard uh, in contrast to the sweet and nutty flavor of the peanut butter was interesting. It was not something, though, that I it didn't make me recoil in horror, but I'm definitely not aching to make it again. Did you use today's peanut butter or did you make like more natural peanut butter for that one? I used a natural I used a natural peanut butter. I didn't make it, but I used a natural peanut butter that doesn't have sweeteners. Less sugar. Yeah, no, no sugar. It's just peanuts when when you go back on these old sandwiches from you know 120 years ago and stuff like that i mean food today that we get told is sweeter because there's more sugar and sweetener in it plus it's saltier um have you noticed them some of these older sandwiches being bland or or do you get to actually taste the flavors a little bit better than you would get when you go get your subway sub today yeah i would say that you taste the ingredients a little bit more but it they are a little bland the 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 one thing to point out is that recipe writing back in the day was more um, art than science. Like they're, they're not very precise in their directions. And so almost half or more don't even mention salt or pepper. Hmm. Um, there's one in the up-to-date sandwich book of 1909 where you make a sandwich, you dip it in beaten egg and milk, and that's where the the recipe ends. And it's like, well, there's no way you're serving a, a sandwich covered in raw egg and milk. Right. <laughs> Clearly you have to cook it. So it's, it's kind of kind of hit or miss but you know some things have surprised me like um recipes from turn of the century that calls for cayenne pepper like really? hmm, that's that uh, seems a little spicy yeah i didn't I, know the spice trade was that active oh yeah hmm so, that's so good this is so interesting yeah. fried bologna and peanut. i'm gonna bang off a couple of weird ones uh okay. fried bologna and peanut butter sandwich carrot and bacon sandwich Ooh, um yeah. horseradish sandwich Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't say anything else. I mean, anything with olives on it. <laughs> um, uh, that's like just that. me. Yeah, uh, no, just, like that's olives. that's kind of gross. Uh, but I mean, the the list of of really weird things does you know go on and on. I, I'm not weirded out by cucumber salad sandwiches. I'm not weirded out by cheese and pickles. I think that mm-hmm. that's pretty good. But apple yep. cider vinegar sandwich. Yeah, yeah that's um, tangy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's there's there's some really odd ones um but there's some there's some gems in there and what's funny is how many of them most of them are like they're this close they're just so close to being able to be uh better a much better sandwich and so the plus ups are like my way of bridging yeah. from where they where they fall short to taking them across the threshold yeah the the, the reinvention the reincarnation um, yeah. inspired the reboot your sandwich right. reboots there you go exactly. yeah. um well yeah i should i actually i'm gonna start doing um recipe remixes where i actually redo the entire recipe uh from scratch because right now what i do is i make them as written yeah and then i add stuff to to see if i can make it better right um, but i do want to start remixing them it is an art though we're, we're missing out on the art of a beautiful sandwich in today's world aren't we um it depends on where you go i i, I would say if you go to some certain chains, you're absolutely missing out on the heart of the right. sandwich. I'll say when their names. To- don't worry about it. You don't have to. <laughs> they consume me. 
Um, but yeah, but you know, there are certain sandwich shops and, and places that are, are still doing a, an excellent job and are creative about how they're doing it as well. Okay. Right now in your belly, you're craving, what would be the sandwich of choice right now today, Barry? Um, you're the sandwich historian. Sandwiches of history are your social accounts. Yeah, and yeah. Um, if you could pick one right now, what, what would that sandwich be? I'm going to go, I'm going to have to go with BLT. The classic. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. it's, it's toasted. So you get a little texture, salty smokiness, of the bacon, uh, the sweetness uh, and freshness of the tomato and then the crisp lettuce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little bit of mayonnaise to kind of give you a little richness. It's, I, I, I love it. I think it's good. Um, but the, this actually brings up a point. People always ask me, what's your favorite sandwich? What's your favorite sandwich? It's like, depends on when you ask me. Yeah. Like if it's raining out and it's cold, it's going to be a different answer than when it's 90 degrees in summer. Right. Yeah. I like that. And we need to take that in mind because we often are guilty of just going and getting the same old, same old, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And not trying things. Okay. So what are, if you can think of uh, two or three, three would be awesome. Three notables that we probably all should try at some point. I mean, everyone can go to your uh, sandwiches of history accounts to, to get more info on these, but what, what are, what are three that stick with you that are worth a shot that maybe people haven't had? Uh, the Trinidadian cheese paste sandwich. Um, it's kind of like a Trinidad take on pimento cheese, but it's got shredded carrot and it's, it's, it's really delicious. And it'd be really good as a uh, grilled cheese, treated as a grilled cheese uh, sandwich as well. If you want to do that. Uh, the pan bagnat that I made the other day was, just fantastic. All kinds of uh, wonderful flavor has uh, marjoram, oregano, tuna. Uh, and you could, and people are like, oh, I hate, uh, you know, I hate anchovies. I hate tuna or whatever. Just leave it out. It's still a delicious. That's the amazing thing about that sandwich is you could leave out whatever specific ingredient you didn't like. Mm-hmm. It would still be a phenomenal tasting sandwich. Love it. Um, third one. Let's see. Let me think about this for a second. I, you know what? I'm going to recommend and you're going to be surprised. The fool's gold, really? the the peanut butter, blueberry jam, bacon. But I, I specifically recommend uh, including the plus up, which is chili powder. Thou, okay. I'm telling really? you, it, it it blew my mind how good that was. Really, eh? Yeah. Huh. It's so cool, right? Because I mean, finding these books uh, is difficult to begin with, and would be more yeah. difficult without access to the internet. And yeah. Oh, um, yeah. right, and sharing yeah. all of this is even yeah. more difficult without access to TikTok and Instagram. So Absolutely. you know, the timing yeah. is right, Barry. The timing is right. I know it just it just happened to work out. I love <laughs> it. Now, uh, sandwiches is not all you do. Uh, we'll save it for another conversation. But boy, I mean, the food—you just love the food. So what else yeah. you got going on? Because there, there's more than just sandwiches here. Yeah, I've got I've got actually four TikTok channels, but um, the the next biggest one would be in the chips with Barry, uh, where I review potato chips, tortilla chips, things like that really? uh, from around the world. And I've been doing that for about four years. Really, um, and it's uh, it's been fun. People send me chips from all over the world, uh, from places that I, I'll probably not get to visit anytime soon, um, and I get to taste and review the chips. Love so it. Oh, yeah. oh, well, let's, well, let's get you back and talk about chips because there is okay. one grocery chain here in Calgary where I am. They have mm-hmm. their own brand of chips that someone makes for them, whatever. But they're basically filled with all of those old school, you know, like the brown chips, the ones that don't make the, the Lay's yeah. and everything else today, the imperfect ones, the overcooked, the whatever. And these, except these bags are filled with them. It's wow. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And you get all kinds of the overcooked and the ugly ones, kind of like when you go to the produce and they've got the yeah. ugly apples for cheap, except. Yeah. Yeah. This it's this purposefully made that way. It's so that's great. A, that's amazing. I have to say uh, fans in Canada turn me on to all dressed and ketchup flavored potato chips. Yeah, I love them. Good. So good. Oh, I love all dressed and I love ketchup chips. So that's all, there you go. All dressed blew my mind when I when I first had it, because it's like, how do you get all those flavors on one chip? <laughs> um, but it's, it's good. And we're starting to see ketchup show up here and all dressed, I think a little bit, yeah. but it's, it's not ubiquitous. There's yet. some new ketchups too, like spicy ketchups and all those yes. that are coming out now. Miss Vicky's, uh, yeah. got a spicy ketchup, the spicy dill from Miss Vicky's. That's amazing. Oh God, we got to save that because right, we're right, talking right, about yeah, that for yeah. days. Oh my goodness. Uh, so Barry, um, which, which is the best access point? Cause you've got the, the Instagram and the TikTok. What's the best way for sandwiches of history for everyone to access you? 
Uh, honestly, it's it's whatever whichever app you enjoy using. I'm also on YouTube and Facebook, but I'm not that active. I, like I post there, but I don't spend a lot of time on those okay. those platforms. But TikTok, if you're into if you're on TikTok uh, or Instagram, either one of those. Well, we'll link the Instagram on our shiftheads.ca Facebook group. And that way you can click the link tree and get access to all the pieces, including the stores with the shirts and the toques and all the other things that are there too. So (laughs) might as well, eh? Hey, yeah, thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. Barry Enderwick, Ryan found sandwiches of history, old sandwiches made authentically, also Mm -hmm. uh, rebooted uh, with some improvements for today. Barry, this is fascinating. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. It's been been a blast. This is the Shift Podcast. Ryan O'Donnell is here. He's in downtown Calgary. Brennan Kelly's downtown Vancouver. I'm in Calgary as well. I'm Shane Hewitt. So thanks for being a part of all of this conversation. Where do we start, Ryan, with the best sandwiches ever? We don't have any sandwich trauma coming in yet. Did you have a sandwich that your mom literally forced upon you when you were a kid? Well, there was, of course, like you, margarine and cheese whiz, which is not a good not a good sandwich at all and i used to get that at daycare too it would just be white bread without the crust and cheese whiz it was not not good no um no i my sandwiches were pretty simple um and i have now uh graduated to the point where i i make my own sandwiches and um they're pretty good i don't really do low effort sandwiches though i don't make them often so when i'm going in it's usually like a full meal not like a lunch or anything I do like this one from Trucker Dan. My definition of a sandwich is two or more pieces of bread with whatever makes you happy in between them. It's great. It's pretty good. Beautiful. Yeah. Grilled cheese sandwich from Nighthawk Steve. God love the grilled cheese. Brendan Kelly, I, you know, you were a vegetarian, then you weren't. Um, it makes me curious of what kind of sandwiches you would like. Well, when I was a vegetarian, I tended to like the vegetable ones. Um, yeah. Um, you know, that would be no mayonnaise, wouldn't it? Stuff like that. Well, that'd be vegan with no mayonnaise. Vegetarian is just no, no meat. Um, which I did the vegan thing for a very short time as well, too. But I also liked having strength. Um, (laughs) so yeah, you know, it it depended. Um, club sandwiches, uh, they're always, it's been so long since I've had a sandwich. I was thinking that like maybe the last time I had a sandwich is in an airport somewhere. It's usually something I get in an airport while waiting for a plane. You can get a nice, good, uh-huh. crispy club sandwich and go look at your plane on the tarmac. Uh, yeah. That's very true. It's very true. All right, okay. Um, club sandwich is good. Uh, that's basically a BLT with chicken and maybe an extra slice of bread, right? Okay, so here are some of your text messages. 877-399-9898. Call it into what is the best of the sandwiches uh, Genevieve follows Barry on TikTok. Uh, very cool. He's very entertaining. He's a lot of fun. And uh, every video is him eating a sandwich, for that matter. Uh, Les sends this one in. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Peanut butter, cheese, and mayonnaise. See, I know some people like that, but the sweet and savory, especially with peanut butter, is a no-go on for me. I'm sorry. That's a thumbs down. Best sandwiches. Uh, Trucker Dan also says, I remember the Golden Girls when Sophia was making bacon, lettuce, and potato sandwiches. Um, Mike from Kamloops says, French fry sandwiches. I was never into that. Uh, Besh British sandwich from Miss Josie, beans on toast. Best Australian sandwich, Vegemite and Nutella on toast. Nope. Aye, aye, aye. Nope. I don't know, man. Have you ever considered a flipper pie sandwich? Nope. <laughs> Have not. Uh, best sandwich and the world's fair grilled sirloin and onion on rye, shiitake mushrooms and wasabi, and brook trout smoked, deep fried Wisconsin cheddar with bacon strips. Ron. <whistles> uh, let's go to Catherine, who's in Surrey. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Hey, cat. Hey, you have you have to try this, please. <laughs> <'Cause> you you <laughs> can't you can't say yuck or anything unless you okay. try it, right? 
Uh, sure. Okay. Well, I know I can. I feel like I can completely judge without trying it. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> okay, then I won't give the first ingredient. Then okay. It's, no, it's, no, I give it all. We're good. We'll take it. I can take it. Okay, it's a t- Italian roll, but it has to be very fresh. Okay. Mustard. Uh huh. Baby beets, but they have to be pickled, so you get the vinegar, the tang, and the okay. vinegar. Okay. Right, mm-hmm. and then um, and the biggest slab of cheddar cheese that you can afford. Okay. See, I, that doesn't gross me out. Everybody gets grossed out with the beets, though. No, it's so no, because good. pickles and cheddar cheese is something that my mom loves, and they're pretty good. So I would imagine that you know the pickled beet with the vinegar sort of pickling plus the cheddar cheese. I see. I, I'm. I would give that a go. Oh man, with the mustard. Oh man. Do not wear a white shirt. Though. And then I have one other one. It's a Hungarian sausage with mustard and white bread and butter. Hmm. See, that sounds good too, though, right? Like any sort of Italian sausage, bratwurst, all of those with mustard, just mustard. Like that is just heaven on a bun. Well, then you Love just that. said meatloaf sandwich. I used to oh, always meat- get those in lunch. See, meatloaf with mustard. See, it's good. Lots of mustard. I like this. Um, yeah, the beets sandwich is great um, until the yellow mustard and the red beet juice gets on your clothing. But aside from that, I'm all in. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. Thanks. Toasted peanut butter, strawberry jam, Nutella, and marshmallow. That's Adam from London. Flipper pie is not a sandwich. Well, if you put it in between bread, it is. Peanut butter and pickles. Peanut butter and cheddar is weird. Sounding, but so good. All right. Um, Sometimes I make breakfast sandwich with two waffles. Sausage, patty, fried egg, cheddar, and maple syrup. One of my favorite sandwiches for breakfast would be a sesame seed bagel. Got to toast it so those sesame seeds get nice and toasted with just a sausage patty, uh, fried egg, and um, and a slice of processed cheese. And it has to be like the cheese slice. Uh, that's so good. 877-399-9898. Uh, Linda in Calgary. Hi, Linda. Hi. Okay. Best sandwiches. Okay, so after Chinook Center was built um, in Calgary, um, there is a sort of a grocery store, whatever, um, called Woodward's. And on Saturday mornings, we'd go to Woodward's and get these Italian, they called them Italian sandwiches. And they were on a submarine bun, and they had a thin layer of Miracle Whip, Thin layer of cheese whiz, mustard, and they would have uh, tomatoes, thinly sliced onions, thinly sliced, probably green peppers, and then some kind of a sausage, like dry sausage, like um, Thuringer or something like that. And they were, to this day, I still make those. They were just totally, they were just insanely good. Hmm. That's yeah. amazing. I I remember. Yeah, we're going to Woodward's on Vancouver Island and going down to the the sandwich uh, diner too as well. That's amazing. Thanks, Linda. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye. This is the Shift Podcast. The news from Ukraine, I, it seems to have slowed, not that uh, without good reason, because there are other things that have been happening in the world. Uh, for example, um, you know, the shooting in Texas is uh, taking over headlines all over North America. And, um, you know, if, if we look at the global news site, you know, I mean, the Ukrainian is number two on the list. So I don't want to diminish... Uh, anybody, any news line or any storyline or anybody's life is being a more important than the others. But one of our commitments here on the shift is to keep the Ukraine conversation alive, regardless of the news cycle and what is happening. So that is why we will continue to connect to our our friends now that we've made in Ukraine. 
And uh, the first conversation of the week this week for us is going to be with, um, well, I guess our second conversation this week is going to be with uh, Hannah Shalis, PhD, Ukrainian prison. Ironically, uh, she wants to be like uh, Dr. Yevgenia Gaber so much, she's actually gone to Istanbul. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, you guys are, you guys know each other. You're both from Odessa and you revolve in the same professional circles. So I got the inside scoop about some of your travels. Uh, Hannah, you have been working the international circuit a little bit to, um, to share some of the news about Ukraine. What's going on there? How are you and what have you been up to? Uh, good morning. Uh, definitely right now in Istanbul, but it's been quite a long trip of uh, Tallinn, uh, uh, Washington, New York, and now um, Istanbul. All unfortunately not for the holidays, but for the working as uh, uh, it's time now to continue the advocacy campaigns to work uh, with the international public, not only through the media, but also through the big international fora or meeting the different politicians. That's what we've been doing in uh, Washington and New York, meeting different congressmen, senators, uh, State Department, and United Nations, because we understand that three months, uh, everybody tried to keep attention on Ukraine. Now we need a little bit to channel this attention to the uh, necessary dimension to continue receiving all support we need. Yeah, I saw a fantastic, um, and it was retweeted. I'm not going to say who, because... Uh, it's, it's inside our circle of contacts here, but it was a retweet, um, from one of our Ukrainian friends. And all it said was, it said, uh, Ukrainian military support on its way. No, excuse me. German military support on its way to Ukraine. And it was a snail with a, a bullet taped to its back. And, um, it seems like while some countries are expediting access, other countries are not expediting. Um, some of the help. So it must be very important in your position to be able to get out in front of these different groups and advocate for what matters uh, in Ukraine and maybe call out some of these other places that are taking their sweet ass time to get you stuff. Yes, uh, like you know, definitely everybody understands that uh, any of the military supply it is a very difficult um, logistical operation, first of all, not speaking about the political decisions. But at the same time, you know, we have an expression, those who want to look for possibilities, those who doesn't um, look for the excuses. And that's what's happening with some of the countries, because, for example, Estonia already provided Ukraine uh, military assistance cost one third of their annual military budget. Just listen, 30 percent of their military budget already been um, given to Ukraine in different forms. At the same time, Germany is saying, oh, we're afraid to give few tanks because it can uh, lower our defense opportunities. Then you see the United States that uh, from the time the decision is made to uh, when uh, this equipment, heavy equipment, is arriving in Ukraine, it's up to 72 hours from the U.S. to Ukraine, 72 hours with all these security yeah. measures. And then again, from Germany, we had uh, promises of some equipment and we are waiting for them already more than a month. That's why yeah. like Germany is not the only one. We just hear about German cases most of all because we expect from such powerful countries, Germany, uh, much more in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, I mean, the resources that the United States has is like the biggest resources. So it's kind of an unfair comparison, but it does create some contrast into the participation of other nations. Okay, Hannah. So, uh, maybe give us a little bit of a look back at, um, at Odessa, because we would normally ask you about Odessa, even though you're not at home. Uh, we would also ask what is the, the general goings on from, you know, the eyes and out the window of Ukraine. So what are you seeing? What is happening? Can you give us a bit of an update that you see? Um, you know, Odessa has been more or less okay. The last uh, week we were not experiencing any uh, heavy attacks as uh, uh, previously. Uh, but we understand now that uh, Russians are getting additional forces from the sea. So um, our military just reported that, for example, they noticed a few of the Ukrainian boats that had been captured in Azov Sea, that Russians moved them to the Black Sea near the Snake Island. Uh, and uh, because of this, we definitely expect 
expect certain provocations that can involve um, Ukrainian ships uh, over there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, it is the extreme shortage of fuel that is now the biggest problem, and the Ukrainian government is trying to solve it. That's, um, first of all, the problem of logistics, because uh, in April, Russians destroyed a lot of, of the fuel refineries and fuel storages uh, in Ukraine, so um, you, you need to deal with this issue. And as more people returning to Ukraine, so definitely there is uh, more necessity um, in uh, petrol and uh, um, other just, just for the life being. But at the same time, uh, uh, it's definitely the feeling of the like you know the big expectation. Uh, we understand that now the big battle is on the east. Uh, all this week, very heavy fighting is happening in Lugansk region. That's why we have a certain. Uh, um, let's say pause, it, it, it's not the relief, it is the certain pause in the um, uh, Russian actions and everything will depend how the fighting is happening there. Uh, I, there was some word about, you know, access to moving soldiers around and commercial ships and the agriculture. I mean, here we are springtime, uh, four or five months from now, all of that product is going to need to move. One of the speculations that we had in conversation with Dr. Gaber was that, you know, the forward look on what's happening right now has to be on protecting access to the to the Black Sea and protecting the ability to move all of the the agriculture products from Ukraine economically important but not only that i mean there are migration concerns uh for the destination of that food i mean a lot of that food that ukraine uh builds uh, does go to uh, close by places like africa and so on and so forth so um, that must be something that's inside conversation of we must watch out for looking forward the next few months in Ukraine. You know, that is not only Ukrainian conversation, it became a global conversation. I've been on Friday in New York meeting the Undersecretary General of the United Nations. And uh, food security was topic number one because the United Nations now try to uh, have negotiations uh, five lateral negotiations about uh, possibilities of the certain convoys or some kind of the taking these grain from Odessa port. Because uh, Ukraine really tried to um, move some of the grains by rail or by roads, uh, but the capacity is one-tenth from what the ships can do. And uh, uh, now we have approximately 20 million tons of grains at our storages in Ukraine. And uh, by the end of June, it will be the new harvest. So you need to uh, free the storages to have where to put it. And such countries as Egypt or Lebanon depends on Ukrainian wheat up to 40%. So you can imagine that as soon as they are not receiving from us, so what is the uh, price uh, uh, raise and what is the social instability is already coming to uh, this country because of this. That's why it's not only Ukrainian case now, but it is the high-level negotiations. And uh, uh, we are trying to persuade the Russian Federation at least to allow the ships with the grains to leave the ports. It will be very difficult technically to do because it's the question uh, who will be accompanying these ships, which country will do it. One of the options is Turkey to do it, for example. Another question is what to do with mines in the Black Sea. And there are plenty of mines the Russians just swept all around um, the sea. And that is definitely a danger for uh, for navigation. So, uh, But as for now, the political decision should be made. Russia should agree. And for Russia, it's not so easy to agree. We need to understand that Russia is the biggest Ukrainian competitor on this market. So they are getting their price because of the higher prices, first of all. And the second, uh, exactly what Evgenia told you, that Russians already started to steal grains from uh, occupied Kherson region. Uh, by different data, we know that approximately 500,000 tons being stolen. We have video recording of this because most of the storage facilities are with a good uh, uh, cameras for security. And uh, already at least three ships left uh, the territory, the Russian ships left the territory with Ukrainian grains, and they are trying to bring them uh, to, uh, originally they wanted Egypt, Egypt rejected, so uh, the first ship uh, finished in uh, uh, Syria. Now the question is what will be with the next two ships that are now uh, in the sea. So if they were going to go to Syria, if they're going to Egypt, though, they've got to pass through Istanbul where you are. So that must be one of those incredible geopolitical crossroads that Turkey's stuck with is if commercial ships can go in and out, they've done uh, had all kinds of limitations on military ships coming in and out. At the same time, though, they um, if they are suspicious about a commercial ship that's been stolen or that's carrying stolen goods on it's hard to prove that it's been stolen 
but it's still got to pass through Istanbul to get out. So is that a is that a, you know a concern? How does Ukraine handle that? Yes, that is a huge concern. Now our ambassador already raised this question with the Turkish MFA and uh, it is discussed by the experts. As for now, Turkish side uh, found the excuse. They said we cannot prove that that is exactly uh, grain from Ukraine. Because, uh, like, you know, you have the sheep full of grain, prove that it is really Ukrainian. It's not that easy to do. It's not a forensic uh, um, criminal case or something like this. So uh, they said, okay, that is the Russian sheep. It left Crimea. That is uh, already occupied for eight years uh, by the Russian Federation, maybe that is uh, grains from Crimea. The only problem is that there are no grains uh, production in Crimea. Uh, so uh, the question is from where are coming. Russians are doing just fake documents and going up. So everybody um, know uh, from where is the grains. Uh, but at the same time, Turks don't want to spoil relations with Russia. So they are not going very strict about it and really want at least uh, the criminal case or something like this to show us the documents. You Ukrainians need to prove that that is stolen. And then we will think what we can do with uh, these ships. Uh, it's amazing to think. I mean, it's not like you can just sort of scan the code and, and know um, where where the grain sort of has come from. So that does make sense. It would be incredibly difficult unless you were digging into, like you said, some sort of forensic genealogy of different breeds of wheat and whatnot to try to track it down. So, um, so th- there's been all kinds of blackmail here that's been started to uh, get pushed around, which seems to be part of the playbook from Russia, right? Like, do all this damage, squeeze all these areas, t- take them over, then try to blackmail them to open... Uh, what's going on the international community they're basically saying look drop some of these sanctions we will open up these ports for you it's not like you can be trusted a whole lot so all of this is going on the wheat sunflower oil and all the different exports that are involved in that and we also hear stories here uh, we just had it in, in our news at the top of the hour that ukraine <laughs> i think this is uh, fantastic it comes from tragedy but it's a great story that ukraine actually has more tanks than when they started the war because they've stolen so many from Russian soldiers. Um, is some insight on that if, if you're familiar with the stories? Um, I would not name it uh, stole because uh, uh, that's called trophy. That's a little bit different because <laughs> most of these uh, tanks been uh, got during the battle. But that's yeah. the reality. I mean, that is not the gossips. We have these official statistics from the Ministry of Defense and the units usually show it. So uh, there were several cases. Um, some parts of the cases then during the battle, the tank is not damaged too much and uh, Ukrainian army is taking it, repair it, maintaining, uh, repainting, and then it is uh, uh, fighting. So because many of the tanks that we use, they are very similar from the Soviet Union time, so that's not a problem. We have spare parts, we have people who know how to repair it. That is one part. The second part, it is uh, that uh, some of the Russian units have been running away and just leaving completely intact tanks, many even with the ammunition inside. And we had many of such cases on the north of the country, uh, near Kharkiv. So definitely when we are coming to the territory and see uh, these tanks, uh, why not to use them? So that is another uh, category that also really um, helped and supported. That's why if you compare the numbers, definitely we've been laughing that now Ukraine is w- with more tanks than what we had in the very beginning of the war. Uh, Russia chipping away. That's the way they've sort of described it. Now, forgive my attempt at pronouncing these cities, but Severodonetsk, um, where there's been some... Um, oh, thank you. Uh, there's been some... Um, more fighting there as they're trying to squeeze off some of these smaller towns in the rural eastern Ukraine. Is there still movements moving westward? What is Russia up to there? Uh, yes, unfortunately, all this week it is very heavy fighting happening all around uh, there. Russians are trying to occupy completely the Lugansk region. And they are fighting for each of the village over there. And uh, the uh, like, we, we know all these names back in 2014 because many of these uh, towns, like Severodonetsk, like uh, um, uh, Lysychansk, uh, they had already their heavy fighting uh, back in 2014-15. And they just started uh, the uh, real recovery because a lot of European money been spent for the reconstruction after the uh, first wave of war eight years ago. 
And uh, for them, it is twice devastating because they already saw the war. They saw how everything been changing to the better. And now, um, again, and the problem is that Russia is not just trying to occupy it, but why I'm emphasizing on the heavy fighting, because uh, they are using a lot of artillery and some of these uh, uh, villages around are just disappearing because it's just, we, we call it cover artillery. Uh, carpet artillery when it's just like ev everywhere everything they don't care uh, what they're targeting unfortunately there are still a lot of local population who don't want to evacuate because uh, uh, for them it is their land their houses and they're afraid to uh, leave uh, that's why we're experiencing more and more uh, civilian casualties over there and we understand that russians will not stop there if not the big counterattack from the ukrainian side uh, because uh, they want at least some victory. And uh, if you remember that Russian president uh, announced independence of Lugansk and Donetsk regions uh, in the territory, not before February uh, 2022, but in their full administrative regions. So that's why now uh, Russian forces are trying to occupy the whole territory. Uh, Hannah Shalist is from Odessa, is in Turkey at the moment. Um, what can you share with us, Hannah? Because you have been traveling, you were in the United States advocating for all things Ukraine. Um, it, I'm assuming now Odessa is close to Moldova, and I don't want you to reveal anything that you can't or shouldn't reveal about your travels, please. But, uh, what can you tell us about trying to get out of Ukraine? Because uh, it's not like you can hop a commercial flight out of Odessa and just fly to New York. So, uh, must be quite the adventure trying to find your way out um is it tense at times how did you make out uh, no that's quite a well e easy and difficult because definitely when you're used to the big international airports um <laughs> each additional lag is always difficult but as for now it is the uh, bus from odessa to Chisinau, and it takes five hours uh for the distance of 180 kilometers so you, you can imagine that uh, the, the road is not uh, so good, uh, plus the border control between the two countries, and we cannot cross Transnistria. So previously we could go either through Transnistria directly to Moldova. Now it is only uh, one road that is going directly from Ukraine to Moldova. But that is five hours regular bus, and then from Chisinau you finally can fly, because Moldova also closed its airspace in February and March, because they were afraid of the either Russian attack or that uh, some of the missiles can reach their territory. They're very close to us. Uh, but uh, uh, now they decided that it is more or less safe, so the flights returned to uh, Moldova. Uh, but they don't have so many flights, so definitely there is a lot of connections, but, but at least you can fly, at least you can reach the destination um, you need. Uh, amazing. It's absolutely amazing in the trans uh, uh, Transnistria conversation for those who didn't haven't heard us talk about it before that's an area that has in moldova that has russian soldiers uh problematic everywhere it, it seems like it well i wish you safe travels i i'm i'm so glad that you took the time to uh be able to be with us today i mean i understand your schedule has been so busy and here you are getting up in the morning uh in turkey and sharing your time with us hannah on the shift i i thoroughly appreciate it and i i wish you safe travels home it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Tomorrow is ho back home, so let's hope that the road will be easy. Yes, and how happy Benjamin's going to be when he sees you again. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Benjamin is Hannah's dog. Uh, thanks, Hannah. We'll talk to you soon. Dog. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.